I'm Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, protecting the innocent. 28 premature babies caught in the crossfire of the conflict between Israel and Hamas are finally moved out of a war zone. We have the latest. Sound the alarm. A frightening report on how the faithful are being targeted in West Africa. We have analysis. A rise in support. Why Republican candidate Nikki Haley is climbing the polls ahead of the 2024 presidential election. And talking turkey. President Joe Biden kicks off the Thanksgiving holiday with a beloved White House tradition. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us. Our top story tonight, the war between Israel and Hamas rages on. Today, a deadly strike hit a hospital in northern Gaza. Health authorities say at least 12 people were killed after an Israeli tank fire hit the Indonesian hospital. Among the dead were patients being treated and a member of the medical staff. Israel says its forces were targeting terrorists who opened fire at them within the hospital. The head of the World Health Organization condemned the attack in a post on X, formerly known as Twitter. The director general wrote, quote, WHO is appalled by an attack on the Indonesian hospital in Gaza. He added, health workers and civilians should never have to be exposed to such horror and especially when inside a hospital. Meanwhile, 28 premature babies are now in Egypt receiving medical care after being evacuated from Gaza's beleaguered Al-Shifa hospital. Several newborns died at the facility after their incubators stopped working due to a lack of fuel. Many medical services collapsed during Israel's assault on Gaza City. Israeli military has released this video of what it says is a Hamas tunnel underneath Al-Shifa Hospital. Both Israel and the U.S. say their intelligence shows Hamas was operating a control center under the medical facility, something the hospital staff denies. The IDF also released CCTV video of what it said shows Hamas members forcibly transporting hostages through Al-Shifa Hospital on October 7th, the day of the attack. The Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry is questioning the authenticity of the videos, adding that if the videos are true, it shows the hospital was providing medical care to anyone who needs it. Our President Joe Biden responds to EWTN's question about the hostages held by Hamas. He tells us he may be close to reaching a deal. Our very own White House correspondent Owen Jensen is the one who questioned the president. Owen. Tracy, good evening to you. As he wrapped up another event on the South Lawn of the White House today, I shouted the question to President Biden about the hostages currently being held by Hamas. Now, here's that brief interaction that's making headlines. Mr. President, is a hostage deal near? Sir, is a hostage deal near? Mr. President, is a hostage deal near? I believe so. I'm not prepared. You believe so? Yes. Thank you. How soon? And in the White House press briefing room, more questions about the fate of the hostages. We're still working this hour by hour. I do not have an update for you on the hostage uh, uh, deal that we're trying to negotiate. Uh, but as you heard the deputy national security advisor say yesterday, uh, we believe we're closer than we've ever been. So we're hopeful. When it comes to trust, John Kirby says when it's go time, you count on everybody to meet their commitments. It's a negotiation and uh, it's over human lives. Um, uh, you, you do the best you can going back and forth with the arrangements, um, which we're doing right now. And while Israeli forces are pressing their offensive against Hamas, the Israeli military releasing this footage showing their forces operating in the Gaza Strip, the conflict could pull attention and resources from the Ukraine fight. 
Today, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin made an unannounced visit to Kyiv, arriving by train from Poland to meet with President Volodymyr Zelensky, a high-profile push to keep money and weapons flowing to Ukraine. The message that I bring you today, Mr. President, is that the United States of America is with you. We will remain with you uh, through, uh, for the long haul. It was also announced today the U.S. will be sending an additional $100 million in weapons to Ukraine. Meanwhile, President Biden, his birthday today, he turns 81 years old. Polls show that Americans are concerned about his age as he runs for re-election. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley campaigned in Iowa this past weekend. She spoke to a crowd of conservative Christians alongside GOP candidates Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy. The trio spoke about being pro-life. They also discussed foreign policy and their faith. Haley is moving up in the polls on the back of strong debate performances. She is still a far distance away from the current frontrunner, former President Donald Trump. And joining us now is Susan Crabtree, White House and National Political Correspondent at Real Clear Politics. Susan, good to be with you. Uh, a lot to get to, but first, let's talk a little more about Nikki Haley, uh, as we said, who is moving up in the polls. Why do you think she's resonating with voters? Well, I think that they found her um, quite articulate, and it depends on um, carving up the Republican Party. You have uh, an Emerson poll, college poll, came out last week that showed that Donald Trump really has New Hampshire wrapped up. Uh, 49%, he's attracting 49% of the vote there. But Haley showed momentum. Uh, Nikki Haley set, showed that she got garnered about 18% of the vote, while DeSantis was down from 10% earlier to 7%. Uh, so you actually have Nikki Haley moving ahead in that particular state, and that matches the real clear politics numbers we have almost exactly. So the thing that is, is she is carving out the center lane. With DeSantis unable to seem to carve into Donald Trump's big lead, you have the, sort of the center lane all to herself, and she's shown her to be a fighter uh, in these debates. Her debate performances have been really stellar. And she also has taken a more nuanced view on abortion, uh, which, as we've seen uh, nationally, is a mixed bag. Um, the American public, uh, the way they feel about abortion in Ohio, just wanting um, voting just in November 2nd to for greater access to abortion in Ohio. And Nikki Haley has certainly tried to carve out that more, on, more nuanced view, with saying she is pro-life and she would like to see more pro-life policies out there adopted in states. But the debate, uh, to have it in the states, have this debate in the state, is the right place for it to happen to be taking place. Yeah, and Susan, while she is, you know, making pretty big gains, uh, there's no question uh, that the candidate to beat is former President Donald Trump, who really is leading by a wide margin. Uh, this despite him not taking part in any of the debates and those legal woes, too. Um, you know, at this point, it seems he is the GOP candidate. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, as we go in, we have a few more debate opportunities. DeSantis has a big debate after Thanksgiving with Governor Newsom that's sort of unpredictable, and uh, we'll see how he comes out from that, whether he can build some momentum. And then you have an early December debate. Um, and then you have, immediately in January, you are going to have this this presidential primary kick in with Iowa, New Hampshire. And if they cannot, if the only thing I can see is if Donald Trump underperforms in Iowa, New Hampshire, and DeSantis or Haley overperforms, then we can say they have some more momentum going into Super Tuesday. But if Donald Trump is able to keep those numbers really high and have its 20 
points ahead, uh, it's a done deal for Donald Trump. So time is a wasting. And Nikki Haley herself was talking about that today, saying we're at the 60-day mark, and it's critical, to, crucial time period for both underdogs. Yeah. Also, another poll uh, out today, a new Harvard Caps-Harris poll uh, showing former President Donald Trump leading President Biden 48 to 41 in a hypothetical 2024 general election. Susan, what do you attribute this gain to? Well, it's interesting. I, I do think that you've seen uh, the president's poll numbers drag. He's at his lowest point in his presidency right now. 59% uh, disapproval, only 40% approving. A lot of that, I think, has to do with the war between Israel and Hamas and how he's uh, how he's orchestrated that and how he's handling that. A lot of young people are, are taking issue with the way um, he has is dealing with it. They think he's too pro-Israel. Uh, it's interesting because he won Donald Trump with the young people from 18 to 39, that age group, by 20 points in 2020. And now he's down um, among those groups against Donald Trump. So uh, unless something happens to shift that, it's going to be a problem for the Democratic Party. And it's a real wake-up call. Susan, we have maybe 30 seconds left or so, but final thoughts. Yeah, well, I think you saw a lot of people. It's it's the president's birthday today, so we want to send happy birthday to him. But it's a difficult time for him. And I, I think you have David Axelrod, someone who's very close and influential, close to Obama, uh, Obama advisor, saying that there's only a 50-50 percent a chance for Joe Biden right now as we look to the presidential to general election next year. So it's a real, um, it's a difficult time for the president. His poll numbers are not looking good and the Democratic Party needs to decide what to do. And they only have this, uh, this next two months really before the presidential campaign kicks into high gear. Susan, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for weighing in. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Well, for 20 years, the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief, known as PrepFAR, has saved the lives of at least 25 million people throughout the world. The program has received U.S. support until now. Pro-life lawmakers are sounding the alarm after the Biden administration made some changes. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has more. Good evening. The PEPFAR program was created in 2003 by former President George W. Bush at the height of the AIDS epidemic. Since then, it's received broad bipartisan support. Every five years, it is renewed, that is, until now. Congressional Pro-Life Caucus co-chair Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey says the reason is at the hands of President Biden. He has hijacked it. This is Biden. And now he's told the recipients of all this. And it's all about empowering the non-governmental organizations and telling them to bring down the right to life laws all over the world. It's right there in their guidance. Congressman Chris Smith, a longtime supporter of PEPFAR, who wrote the bill reauthorizing it in 2018, tells me the Biden administration has turned a good program into something evil. He says the White House claims they don't promote abortions. That is a big lie. They are doing it. They're not allowed to directly fund it, but they fund the groups that do it. And the organizations like Planned Parenthood, they get massive amounts of money, well over $6 billion. $6 billion a year. PEPFAR proponents, including self-professed Catholic Democratic Senator Dick Durbin, says the program saves lives. Taking the extreme position of blocking this life-saving program is as short-sighted and nihilistic as siding with Vladimir Putin and failing to help Ukraine. 
The deadline for congressional reauthorization was September 30th. For now, PEPFAR can continue at least for a short time, but without approval, it will be scaled back or cut entirely. Right now, America's reputation on the global stage is being threatened by House Republicans' internal politics. But reauthorizing PEPFAR is common sense to reassure the world that America can push past partisanship and use our influence, resources, and power to save lives. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops recently wrote Congress about the program. They expressed concerns about the promotion and distribution of birth control and not protecting human life. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter has died at the age of 96. The wife of the 39th president, Rosalind, suffered from dementia and dealt with declining health for months. She and Jimmy Carter were married for 77 years. Ivan Rodriguez of CNN has more. Tributes continue pouring in for the late Rosalind Carter. You know, they're really an incredible family because they brought so much grace to the office. The former first lady died Sunday after entering hospice care on Friday. She was well known for her efforts on mental health and caregiving and women's rights. So I hope that uh, during the holidays uh, you'll consider saying you include the Carter family in your prayers. Mrs. Carter was actively involved in her husband's presidency and a strong advocate for equal treatment of the mentally ill. Nobody talked to each other about it, their own mental illness at all. And, uh, and now to see that, um, um, that actually people can recover is, is the greatest thing. But it was the couple's work after leaving the White House that would leave the longest legacy redefining and revolutionizing the post-presidency. In 1981, they spearheaded a new challenge, Joining with Habitat for Humanity, building houses for the poor. A year later, they established the Carter Center, a foundation devoted to promoting human rights, resolving conflicts, and eradicating diseases. I'm proud of the work of the Carter Center, which has developed to become one of the most admired and respected institutions, not only nationally, but internationally. I'm Ivan Rodriguez reporting. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including shaking it up. Argentina elects a fiery new president, and he has plans for fighting the country's rising inflation. And a closer look at the targeting of clergy in Nigeria. We speak with aid to the church in needs, Ed Clancy, for the latest. world is reeling after a weekend of drama in the tech world. Hundreds of open AI employees are threatening to quit unless their chief, Sam Altman, is reinstated as CEO. The board of directors for the artificial intelligence startup fired Altman on Friday. Mira Moratti, the company's chief technology officer, was appointed as interim CEO. The board seemed to reconsider Altman's firing over the weekend after blowback from investors, but ultimately stood by their decision. Hours later, Microsoft announced Altman would be joining the tech company. In a rapid reshuffle, OpenAI's board chose to remove Marathi and appoint the former CEO of Twitch as its interim CEO. Well, a stunning result in Argentina as conservative Javier Mille has resoundingly won the presidential election. A todos los argentinos de bien, porque hoy comienza la reconstrucción de Argentina. 
Abile won by the widest margin in an Argentinian presidential race since 1983. He has promised to reduce the size of government in Argentina, where inflation has skyrocketed above 140 percent. His vice president, Victoria Villarreal, is a staunch pro-life Catholic. An international Catholic aid organization is sounding the alarm over the situation for the faithful and clergy in Nigeria. According to a report from Aid to the Church in Need so far this year, more than two dozen priests, seminarians, and religious sisters have been kidnapped. Last year, 28 priests and religious were taken captive in the West African nation. Nigeria is just one of several countries where the targeting of the faithful is cause for concern. Now we turn now to Edward Clancy, Director of Outreach for Age of the Church in Need. Ed, great to have you back on. Uh, you and I have talked about the situation yes. before in Nigeria, um, but really, Ed, it does not seem to be getting any better. Uh, case in point, the most recent kidnappings. Uh, that said, what is the latest there, and who is behind these ki kidnappings? Do we know? Uh, well, who's behind it is is many faceted. We have uh, the Fulani herdsmen or the militants within the Fulani group. We have Boko Haram. We have uh, Aswap, where we have another uh, militant group, and it's also sort of, um, you know, criminals of, of opportunity, people that are taking advantage. But generally, it's a lot of the pro-Islamic um, uh, jihadist kind of organizations are going after the priests. And oftentimes, it's for the purposes of profit. They turn the abduction of priests, seminarians, and religious into kidnapping, ransom money, and they use that money to support their cause and uh, spread more violence. Ed, what about the faithful there? I mean, how do they feel about all this? Uh, amazingly resilient. I, I mean, I, we have regular communication with Benway and McCordy, and there are somewhere in the upwards of 2 million people displaced in that area. You know, it's about two-thirds of the population of the, of the, the state. And even in, the, in these IDP camps, they are still attending mass by the thousands. Um, and yet every day there is, it seems like there's a new attack and they, they are just unrelenting in their faith and, and they're really sticking to it regardless of the circumstances. So to me, it's a, it's a great, um, you know, sense of wonder how they can do this, you know, against such great odds. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, what about the government there? I mean, has the Nigerian government responded at all? Are they doing anything about this? Almost nothing. I, I would I hate to say it, but uh, what they do is too too little, too late. And oftentimes it's uh, you know window dressing. They talk about police activity or state um, responses, and by the time anyone responds to it, you know crops have been burned, families have been displaced, you know people have been have lost their lives. Uh, this year, 2023, started with Father Isaac who was burned alive, and then recently a seminarian uh, who was helping two priests in um, in Kafachan, uh, an area of Kaduna. Uh, he too was burned alive by by militants, and um, it, it's it just it's a horrible way to live, with always looking over your shoulder. When you speak to the priests and nuns who live there and work there, they they go into each day knowing that this could be their last day, that they'll be called to suffer their um, their their death for their faith. Ed, we don't have a whole lot of time left, uh, but I do want to talk about the situation in the Middle East. I, I know that your group does a lot of work with the Holy Family Church, the only Catholic church in Gaza. What's the current situation there? I know hundreds of people were seeking shelter inside during the war. What, what, what more do you know? Well, the Holy Family Church was had taken in about four to five hundred people, you know, women, children, families, um, and then 
right about a month ago, less than a month ago, there was the bombing of the Orthodox facility. They have now taken another 300. So there's between six and 700 people that are being cared for. Uh, and there is some aid getting in, but it's not enough. They are, they are short of medication, they're short of uh, food, they're short of clothing. Uh, the people are essentially sleeping on the ground when uh, when they can. They're share, sharing mattresses and, and uh, blankets. So it's a difficult situation, and with the colder weather coming in, it's going to get even worse. Yeah, it's very concerning. Ed, great to have you back on, as always, and thank you for the work that you do. God bless you. Thank you, and please pray for both the Holy Land and for Nigeria. We will. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, a leap of faith. Pope Francis tells us why trusting in God is worth the risk. Plus, learn how you can be a gift for others in a busy, distracted society. Pope Francis reminds the faithful that trusting in God at all times leads to freedom. And fearing our current situation can be paralyzing. At his Sunday address at the Vatican, the Holy Father says we have a binary choice. And even when faced with tough decisions, if we follow the Lord and ask for his guidance, we will never be led astray. The Pope also said it pleases God when we ask for help and trust his direction. Oh, the Holy Father had a busy Sunday. He also celebrated Mass for World Day of the Poor. The Holy Father asked the faithful to become a gift for others, saying the effort is especially meaningful in a busy and distracted society. EWTN Vatican Bureau Chief Andreas Tonhauser has more. Do not ignore the poor. Pope Francis found clear words yesterday on the World Day of the Poor. Initiated in 2017, this day of commemoration of those who suffer from poverty has become a true cornerstone of the current pontificate. As was the case in the years before, the pontiff shared a meal after the Sunday Mass with a group of poor people from the streets of Rome and other places in Italy. Also refugees were invited into the general audience hall, Paul VI, which had been adapted to serve as a canteen. This was not the only venue to change. Also St. Peter's Square, became a makeshift hospital. In line with the Pope's message to make concrete gestures, the Vatican organized various initiatives to help the poor not only by drawing awareness, but through real action. A mobile clinic was set up at the colonnades to give free and easy access to medical care. It is a good spot to reach those in need. Many homeless come throughout the year to seek shelter under these colonnades during the night. They received free pharmaceuticals and medical treatments. During Mass, Pope Francis reminded the 2,000 people in attendance to nurture tomorrow's hope by healing today's pain. We have to make God's promise of salvation concrete today, he said. He urged us to be witnesses of compassion and to sow hope. That is God's way of doing things. Closeness, compassion, and tenderness. And Pope Francis concluded, that is what is being asked of us today. In Rome, Andreas Tonhauser, EWTN News Nightly. Other turkeys that you won't find on the dinner table this Thanksgiving are named Liberty and Bell. President Joe Biden just pardoned the two birds from Minnesota. I hereby pardon Liberty and Bell. 
right. Congratulations, birds. Yeah, they are two lucky birds right there. The annual turkey pardon was just one of the holiday events held at the White House today. The First Lady also received the delivery of the Christmas tree that will become the center of White House decorations. Now, we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.